Hello and welcome to the Intrepid Adventuring Podcast. Choose your own adventure style audio drama. It's like a tabletop role-playing game, but it's an audiobook. Hello everyone and welcome to A Crown of Stone Season 1, Episode 3. Today I have for you the full first chapter. What you heard initially was just a peek into the first half of the first chapter and today we'll get the whole thing. I've spent a lot of the last few weeks world building, creating all the details behind the story and the reason that things are the way that they are. Uh, So you're not going to see all of it or even most of it today uh, until we get further into the book, but I think you will enjoy finding it out with Loris as we go. If you want the transcript of the episode, you can find it on Patreon as always. The link is in the description, or you can also find it at my website, intrepidadventuring.ca slash podcast. I think that's it for the intro. Let's dive into chapter one. This was, without a doubt, the most reckless thing Loris had ever done. But it was better than any of the alternatives. He scrambled through the jagged rocks and mist-shrouded boulders, pushing his sweat-soaked white hair out of his eyes and off of his glasses, heart pounding as his feet and hands desperately struggled to get traction over the uneven terrain. He heard shouts of his pursuers echoing off the rock all around him. After entering the mists and pushing deeper into the craggy forest of rocks, he had been certain that they would either lose track of him or give up their search within minutes. But they were more persistent than he had imagined. Loras needed to lose them, and fast. Staying here for any length of time was unspeakably unwise, and the book he balanced under his arm was getting heavy. Up ahead... The rocks loomed even taller, and he spotted a place that he might climb up to and hide. He needed to hide, and not just from his pursuers. All right, Loris, you've really done it now, he thought to himself. Get up there as quietly as you can, and maybe there's still a way we see the sun again. Looking up as he climbed, the tallest of the rocks that surrounded him disappeared into a deep gray mist that blocked out almost all the mid-afternoon light. Clambering up the inclined edge of a large rock face as silently as he could, he focused his mind on a single purpose. Get hidden and don't make a sound. His skin started to burn and itch as it often did when he was panicking. Not now, no, no, not now. Keep it together, Loris, he thought. He knew if he moved even an inch to scratch when he was hiding, they would find him. Clenching his teeth, eyes crammed shut, Loris squeezed into a crack and imagined himself being as motionless as the rocks that surrounded him. You can do this, Loris. Calm your mind. This will pass. The pain is temporary. Think of the library. Fire in the hearth. Warm tea beside you. All your favorite books piled up nice and close. This will be over soon, and it will all be over soon. We can go back there. Deep down, he knew that was not true, but he lied to himself expertly. His skin burned maddeningly now, but his calming mantra was effective. High in his hiding spot, he heard voices emerge from the mist below him. Where's he gone then? Get searching, you lazy buffoons. The only thing you need to be afraid of in here is me. The voice echoed hollowly across the silent stones. 
Loris recognized the voice. It was Florin, the guard captain from the high tower where Loris lived. Where you used to live, a tiny voice inside Loris's head reminded him. One problem at a time, Loris, he reminded himself. You need to make it out of here alive first. Don't move. Loris heard the tower guards, three of them it sounded like, spread out below. He heard cascades of small rocks tumble down as they haphazardly climbed around the boulders, their fear and desperation to get out of here, clear in every movement. Captain, we're making too much noise. We need to go. He's as good as dead in here anyway. We need that book, Lorian commanded. And if you're afraid of a little mist and a thieving runaway orphan, maybe you're not fit to serve the new High Alder. You can find that book or explain to her why you're too useless to do your job. Seconds dragged on into minutes, time passing painfully slowly until the sounds of the search below faded. Loris continued to wait until he finally dared to exhale. Carefully opening his eyes and releasing the vice-like grip he had on the rock under his hands, he looked down to see himself covered in a chalky white gray rubble, almost identical to the rocks that surrounded him. His skin also seemed to have paled to a similar mottled gray. Curious, he gently brushed himself off, looking around and making sure not to create any unnecessary noise. Where did this... Suddenly, a piercing, bone-chilling cry rang out from within the mist. Followed by the sounds of clanging steel on rock and the sickening thud crunch of bodies impacting a hard surface. The sounds diminished alarmingly quickly, and once again, Loris was alone in the mist. I need to get out of here, he thought to himself, before whatever made that noise finds me too. This was not how today was supposed to go. This was supposed to be a day of tea and books and celebration, not being chased through this terrifying nightmare of gravel and horror. Clambering down the steep rocks, Loris felt a chill run down his spine as he caught a movement in his peripheral vision. He froze instinctively, watching terror-stricken as hundreds of vine-like tentacles slithered up and over a nearby rock. Silently, a monstrous, glistening thing pulled itself into view, mist parting around it as it crested the stone. The top half of Florian dangled lifelessly from a cluster of the slimy, quivering vines, and several shredded boots hung from the toothy maw of the hideous beast. Fifteen feet tall, covered in a writhing mass of vines and roots, the bulbous clump of vegetation and earth at the center of the tentacles came fully into view. The scent of ancient decay and moss filled Loris's nose. The creature paused, and a collection of eyeballs, yellow and mucus-covered, flicked open toward Loris. With nowhere to hide, he just stood there, completely exposed. What made this even worse was that seeing the creature fully now, Loris knew exactly what it was. In the stone-floored libraries of his beloved tower, he had read about the Glimmergeist, he knew about the long, wispy fingers that grasped and dragged you into the realm of darkness. He knew of the whispering voice calling to those who dared traverse too close. Loris stared, unable to move as the tentacles slowly brought the torso of Florian toward the gaping, barb-filled mouth and crunched down. 
ingesting the remaining parts of the former captain, all while never losing eye contact with Loris. He felt a wave of nausea wash over him, all of his senses overpowered by what he was witnessing. So much for seeing the sun again, he thought, realizing that these were likely his last moments. Finally, a raspy, thin voice creaked out toward him. You need not fear to roam the mists, Shirda, for these lands are safe for kith and kin. The eyes blinked shut one by one as the tentacle vines advanced once more, slowly dragging the slimy mound of earth away into the mists and out of sight. An overwhelming wave of panic and fear crashed over Loris. Everything he had done today, everything he had seen, the irrevocable, life-altering decisions he had made in the brief hours since he'd gotten out of his warm, cozy bed this morning. All of it crashed into his mind simultaneously. What is a Shirda? Safe for kin? Why did it leave me alone? Unable to process the immensity of the situation he found himself in, he found his vision tunneling. His breath became ragged as he gasped for air. The horizon tilted abruptly and he fell to the ground, unconscious now, in the middle of the forest of shattered stones. Three days earlier. Loris awoke earlier than usual, even earlier than the crows this morning, because today was an important day. All the days had been important recently, but this one was going to be especially important. He was being sent into town at the request of the High Curator, Mevrin Fadel, with a list of supplies to collect for the celebrations. Each year, everyone in Halexia and the city of Arnak especially, celebrated the Astral Concordance, a time when the whole town gathered at the Tower Drake and celebrated making it through another year. The sky spectacle and the night of concordance celebration were nearly upon them. Arnak was a small town, a lonely island of humanity on a vast and desolate plain anchored to a tall black granite tower. Loras sat up in his bed and looked down from his room near the top of this tower at the city below. He watched as the early morning sun cast long shadows over the town below, his gaze drawing slowly westward. A sea of fog extended from the town wall almost as far as he could see. Massive pillars of alabaster stone jutted up at odd angles from the mists, like jagged fingers reaching out from the obscured ground below. He knew this fog would not burn away with the heat of the late morning sun, though, and that instead the mist would continue to cling to the massive stones as it had done his whole life. This grey mist had covered the lands to the west of Arnak, known as the Forest of Shattered Stones, as long as Loris could remember, as long as anyone could remember. Each of the stones stood over a hundred feet tall. The only thing taller in any direction was the Tower Drake itself. Entering those misty lands was forbidden, and for good reason. Shrieks and howls of monstrous beasts and terrible creatures were often heard, coming from within, making it clear to all what horrors awaited them should they ever find themselves within. Movement caught his eye below, and 
shifted his gaze away from the mists and back to the city. There, he saw the city guard starting their first morning patrol on the outer wall. Better get moving, Loris, he thought to himself. If the first patrol had started, he was already behind schedule. The town was clustered into the ruins of a once great and ancient city. The wall below was just one of the many artifacts left behind as a reminder of a different time. The city had been destroyed during the Toran War over a thousand years ago. Its original name, now forgotten, leaving nothing but a shell of its former self for its descendants to cower in. Arnak was now one of the few human cities that remained on the continent of Alexia. It was an old and broken land, with all but the last dregs of life drained out of it. Loras slid out of bed onto the cold stone floor of his tiny bedchamber, hopping on one foot as he quickly pulled on each of his leather boots. As he dragged his blue and white hooded cloak over his head and tied up his stark white hair with a short leather cord into a small ponytail, he ran through his list once more. He had struggled to find sleep last night, the anxiety of forgetting something or messing up this important job gnawing at his mind, a small voice in his head growing ever louder as he lay there, sleepless. You're not good enough to be here. You're going to mess this up just like everything else. You will finally realize that you are a fraud. Send you back to the children's stories of First Circle. He couldn't make any mistakes today. They already held him to a higher standard because of how young he was. There were only four other scribes in the tower's history that had joined the Third Circle before their 23rd concordance. He had to ignore his peers' thinly veiled mutterings about him constantly. Things like, I see him with a quill for once. I thought that perfect Mr. Whitehair was above getting a little ink on his hands. Or, there goes the curator's pet. Must be nice to have the cushiest job in the whole place. Some of us had to work to get in here. None of that was true, of course, he reassured himself. The voice was very insistent some days, however, and he believed it more and more these days. He needed to do better and be better, which made assignments like this extremely stressful. Normally, it was the pages who were sent on errands into town, but apparently this was important enough to send a scribe, and a third circle scribe at that. Loris had been promoted from second circle to third circle scribe about a year ago. A scribe's duties were primarily to write. Going through two quills a month was not uncommon. Writing out correspondence and transcribing various collections of unbound parchment and rough notes into permanently bound books and anything else the archivist needed. Additionally, they would assess the archive's holdings that needed repair and direct and assist their pages with those repairs. The pages worked for the scribes and were the beating heart of the library. Most of the people who worked in the archive were pages, and almost everyone in the tower had been one to start with. Loris had started his page duties in the first circle on the first floor of the tower in his eighth concordance year, nearly 15 years ago now. He had spent his whole life between these ancient, echoing stone walls. The pages ensured that each book, journal, and every scrap of paper was diligently assessed and tracked, following a rotating maintenance schedule to ensure that the irreplaceable works did not degrade prematurely and that their knowledge was not lost forever. The tower was divided into three circles, the highest and most prestigious being the third circle. The third circle was where the archivists studied, lived, and worked. 
and it occupied the top three floors of the tower. Each of the archivists in the third circle were assigned a scribe, and one or more pages assisted each scribe. Loris had one page at the moment, and they both reported to the third circle head scrivener, Emmer Callan. Each of the three circles had their own head scrivener, but Emmer was by far the most strict. Her job was to ensure the smooth operation of third circle, and she held all third circle scribes and their pages to exacting standards. She accepted absolutely no compromises on quality and no excuses for subpar artisanship. Loris wasn't a scribe for just a regular archivist, however. Instead, he was a scribe to the High Curator herself. As High Curator, Mevrin Fidel was responsible for the entire tower, all three circles of the archive, and as such was also the de facto leader of the town of Arnak. Her day-to-day work, and what Loris found most interesting, was the supervision of the Third Circle archivists and their study of Limmercraft. The study of Limmercraft enthralled Loris to his very core, but only the archivists were allowed to study it. The scribes and pages assisting the archivists were hand-selected for their loyalty and skill, and even then were not permitted to study in any detail the secret texts that the library held. Loris marveled every day at what the archivists had uncovered and pieced together from scraps of text long weathered by time. Incredible stories of ancient power, battles between unimaginably wondrous beings, and tales from the height of reality altering Limmercraft. Limmercraft, plainly speaking, was the study of magic. Arcane secrets long lost to time were pried out of ancient texts from before the war, Long-forgotten scrolls were repaired, studied, cross-referenced, rewritten, logged, and then filed away by the tower's army of quill-bearing laborers. Limmercraft was extremely important, and the study of it was incredibly dangerous and restricted. Mistakes would not and could not be tolerated. Survival on Helexia all but depended on it. Despite the cold floors and lonely hallways, Loris enjoyed his work and found comfort in the rigid structure and hierarchy provided by working in the tower. As a scribe, he could borrow almost any book he wanted from the second and first circles, and he took advantage of that privilege as often as possible. Most evenings, he would steal away to an armchair next to a fire in one of the common rooms, taking extravagant journeys through mystical lands of imagination. He had never been beyond the walls of Arnak, but had experienced a myriad of adventures through the pages of his books as a fireside adventurer. He would pretend to be in the hero's place, imagining their clothes, what their bodies actually felt like as they battled against foes great and small, the sights and smells coming to life in his mind, living out their adventures between the pages. He loved the tower, the library, and the people inside of it, and as cold and harsh as it could be sometimes, he couldn't imagine his life in any other place or in any other way. Grabbing his satchel off the hook at the end of his bed, he hurried out the door in search of whatever food he could find on his way down to the ground floor atrium. The concordance celebration was in three days, and there was much to do. He decided to take the central stairwell this morning, 
It was still early, and he probably wouldn't be noticed taking the shortcut. It wasn't technically allowed, but he thought he could justify the use of it today. Taking the outer stairs took much longer than the inner ones, and there was even a rumor that the stones of the inner stairway had some remnant of an ancient Limmercraft enchantment that eased and quickened the journey. Loris thought it was probably just because there were fewer stairs to traverse since they didn't have to wind all the way around the outside of the tower, but it was a shortcut either way. Crossing into the main gallery and toward the more private inner studies, Loris heard voices in hushed, heated conversation. As he slowed his pace to remain undetected, he heard the familiar voices of two of the senior archivists, Vandrala Gweld, an incredibly bright and severe woman in her 55th concordance year, and Aachen Nagel, an equally brilliant man who looked like he had seen at least 75 concordance celebrations, though he would never tell you with certainty what his actual age was. Mystery is imperative when attempting to inspire the curiosity of youth, was an often uttered phrase in these halls and usually credited to Aachen himself. Loris's inspired curiosity suggested he pause in the shadow of a large wooden bookshelf to see if he could hear what was being said. We cannot wait, Aachen. This is an opportunity that simply will not occur again in our lifetime, Vandrala hissed. No, the risk is too great, Van. I have not dedicated my whole life to ensure the stability of Limograft and of life on Helexia to watch it be tossed. Alkin said before Vandrala harshly cut him off. I am not proposing we toss anything. What I am saying is that we need to actually do something with everything we've learned. Something more than scraping by, filling our crystals once a year and rationing them. Shipwrecked sailors ration water. I won't entertain it, Van. The texts of the Toran War are clear. The Umbra Court prevailed. The Hollow Court remained. Defeated and diminished, and we were allowed to endure and thrive on our own, so long as we do so without the creation of new Lemurian energies. It is a tenet we have held firmly to for over a thousand years. We are not thriving, though. Aken, we haven't been thriving for ages. We are barely surviving. There are fewer and fewer at the Concordance Festival every year. And every year, we need to work harder just to maintain the status quo. There is simply no time left. It is as if we are starved for water while sitting at the mouth of the well, too stubborn to dip our hand in and drink. Vandrala pushed her grey and black hair out of her face as she pivoted abruptly and walked away, fists in tight balls at her sides, her jaw clenched. Loris stepped back around the corner of the entrance where he had come through, hoping to remain unseen. As Vandrala's footsteps continued past and away from Loris, he snuck back around the wall and continued toward the central stairwell. What in the moods was that all about? He wondered. Lively debate was commonplace in the halls of the tower, but this felt like something more than the academic discourse between colleagues. Putting it temporarily out of his mind, Loris wound his way down the stone steps of the spiral staircase, quickly passing the exits for the second circle levels and then the first. 
He exited brief minutes later into the main atrium on the ground floor. Sun glinted through the high-arched windows all around the circular base of the tower, scattering beautiful patterns of light across the floor. This area was used as a common meeting place for all of the people of Arnak, a place where town matters could be discussed, new rules introduced and debated, as well as a place for the arts. Monthly performances of plays and musical concerts were conducted here, and there was always music being played or some type of art being created. Despite the challenges that life on Halexia brought, the people of Arnak still managed to enjoy the simple pleasures. Loras smiled at the pure beauty of this place and the happy memories it held for him. The only downside to spending so much time working up in the top levels of the tower was that he wasn't able to spend nearly as much time down here as he would like. The noise of the water gurgling and surging in the fountain broke his brief reverie. This time of year, the flow of the water could be a little erratic since the crystals that stored the limmer necessary to keep the fountain running were nearly depleted. They will be replenished soon enough, he thought. As long as you don't mess up these supplies, the cynical other voice in his head commented. The fountain was the only source of water for the town, and the only clean source of water for many hundreds of miles in any direction. Every drop of water that had ever passed Loris's lips had come from this fountain, and every drop brought here by Limmercraft. As the fountain surged back to life again, he strode out of the atrium down the steps toward the town proper. His mind was elsewhere, imagining the great archivists of old creating the fountain to provide the people of the ancient city, raising the tower up from the ground itself and altering the very rules of the universe to suit their will. He was so lost in thought that as he stepped down the last remaining steps out of the tower, he bowled headlong into Emmer Callan knocking her backward down the steps and flat onto her back. <laughs>